Hi, my name is Jeff Redding. I'm a preaching elder here at Walton Community Church in Monroe, Georgia. Before we begin the sermon, our church would like to invite you to join us as we gather every Sunday morning for worship at 10 a.m. You can learn more about our church on our website at waltoncommunitychurch.org. Thanks for listening. All right, good morning, everyone. It's good to be with you on this Lord's Day once again. Uh, Pastor George, thanks for praying for my mom. We, uh, Debbie and I missed being here last week because we did spend a week getting my, my mother settled back into her house after she had been away for several weeks in a rehab center and then with my sister. But she's back in her home now and she's doing well. So thank you for your prayers and that. Uh, Today we're going to continue our study in the book of Galatians. This has been a great book. I I know I have learned a lot through preparing our sermons for for this book. This will be the seventh sermon in uh, this series. We've almost finished the first three chapters uh, of this book, and today we're going to begin in chapter three of Galatians. We're going to start in verse 26. And we're going to go through chapter 4, verse 7. And we're going verse by verse uh, through this letter by the Apostle Paul as I'm asked to fill in when needed in the preaching rotation. And, and again, I'm always just so thankful to be able to preach God word, God's Word whenever He gives me the opportunity to do so. Uh, so please open your Bibles now and let's look at Galatians chapter 3. And uh, if you would follow along with me as I begin reading in verse 26. You know, as I, as I watch people open up their Bibles, it kind of, it just brought to mind when Debbie and I were first married, we were part of this wonderful church where God's word was just boldly preached each and every Sunday. But our pastor, Dr. Ron Long, he just before he read the sermon text, he would ask everyone to hold up your Bibles. I want to make sure you have them here today. And of course, everyone would hold up their Bibles. Now, I'm not going to ask you to do that today, but just seeing everyone opening up your Bible or maybe your Bible app, some of you, but uh, that is just encouraging to fellow Christians to see God's people open up the Word of God, and uh, it's got to make an impact also on any non-Christians here today. So thank you, WCC, for being encouragers this morning, maybe when you didn't even realize you were doing that. But all right, I'm going to read now chapter 3 of Galatians, starting in verse 26. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. Getting into chapter 4. I mean that an heir, as long as he is a child, 
is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, now that's a great statement there, and we're going to talk more about that in a minute. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. This is God's word. Let's pray before we go any further here today. Father, thank you for this Lord's Day and for this time of worship here today at WCC as we just strive to worship you in spirit and truth. We continue to strive to love you and love each other and just maintain a unity in your gospel. What an awesome God you are. Your gospel is sheer grace. Thank you for adopting us. As your sons and your daughters, we are now heirs through God. Thank you for the truths that we find in this book of Galatians. Thank you for the encouragement to believers we've already had this morning by just opening up our Bibles together as a church body. Meet us here now in this place. Give me the words to say, to proclaim your word rightly. Use this time for your glory today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So, I'm so thankful for godly Christian authors and preachers, and they help me in my understanding of the Bible. Tim Keller's book that's entitled Galatians for You, and his outline of the book of Galatians has been one of those resources that has helped me and that I'm thankful for. Uh, It's helped me in my growth to better understand God's Word. So I'm glad to be able to share some of the insights that I got from Keller's book as well as some of my own insights with you this morning on these verses. In fact, these verses that I just read, as Keller puts it, we reach a climax here of everything Paul has said so far in the first three chapters of this letter. In fact, we reach a climax of the gospel itself in these verses when we speak of being sons of God. That's an important truth that we're going to talk about today. Sinclair Ferguson says this about these verses. The notion that we are children of God, his own sons and daughters, is the mainspring of Christian living. Our sonship to God is the apex of creation and the goal of redemption, end quote. 
If we want to understand who a Christian is and why being a Christian is a privilege, we need to appreciate divine adoption. If Jesus, as the promised seed of Abraham mentioned in Genesis, if he gets all of Abraham's promised blessings, then anyone who belongs to Jesus through faith automatically becomes an heir of those promises to Abraham. And this inheritance comes to us through God's Son, through Jesus Christ. We become God's children legally, receiving a new status. And through the Holy Spirit, we become God's children through the experiences of our everyday life as He grows us into spiritual maturity with a passion for God. So let's break this section of Scripture down verse by verse. I'm going to read again chapter 3, verse 26. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. The heart of the Christian life is this verse. Christians already are sons and daughters of God. It isn't something we're aiming for. It it isn't a future goal. It's something that we already have in our present state as a people with true faith in Jesus. It reveals an amazing intimacy that exists between Christians and God our Father. And those were some some good songs today, Chris. Thank you for that. Uh, But we are not children of God in some general way by virtue of just having been created by him, because there is a sense in which all human beings, whether they are saved or unsaved, are God's children because all human beings have been made in his image. God is the creator of everything. He is Elohim. But Paul is speaking here of a much deeper kind of relationship. This sonship comes through faith in Christ. We are only his sons when we have faith in the Son. It is through faith in Jesus that God adopts us. Paul is speaking to true Christians here. Those that have made a profession of faith. And the Holy Spirit has come in and changed their hearts. Many may take offense at using the masculine word sons here to refer to all Christians, male and female. Some would prefer to translate verse 26 as, you are all children of God, instead of you are all sons of God. And there there are a few translations that do use the word children. But if we're too quick to correct the biblical language, we miss the point of what Paul is saying. In most ancient cultures, daughters couldn't inherit property. So the word son also meant legal heir. If you're a son, you're a legal heir, which was a status that was forbidden to women most of the time. 
But the gospel tells us that we are all male and female sons of God in Christ. We are all heirs as long as we have saving faith through Jesus Christ. The Bible also describes all Christians, male and female together, as the bride of Christ. Men, don't get your feelings hurt if you're called a bride. God is being fair in his gender-specific metaphors in Scripture. Men are part of his son's bride, and women are part of his sons, his heirs. If we don't let Paul call Christian women the sons of God, we miss how really radical and wonderful a claim that truly is. All right, let's look at verse 27. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. The public sign of receiving saving faith through Christ is baptism. Baptism is a wonderful ordinance for the church to observe. We are baptized into Christ when we are treated as God's sons. And I believe verse 27 indicates that baptism happens after we have put on Christ, after we are saved. And when Paul says put on Christ, he's comparing Christ to a garment, to clothing that we put on. And, and this idea of clothing ourselves with Christ is, is a common metaphor for Paul. Clothing ourselves with Christ implies many wonderful things, according to Paul. And Tim Keller He does a great job of making some of those analogies here about clothing and our Christian identity. Here's what I mean. Our primary identity is in Christ, and our clothing tells people who we are. We have a very close relationship to Christ, and our clothing is kept closer to us than nearly any other possession that we have. We are accepted by God, and our clothing covers our nakedness and our shame, and God has been clothing us since the fall. He clothes us in his righteousness, and we are now accepted by God. Paul just uses the metaphor of clothing really well in many of his writings. All right, verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ. Well, verse 26, where we began today, revealed to us the amazing intimacy that exists between Christians and God our Father. We are all His sons. Verse 27 showed us the wonderful closeness between Christians and God the Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, as Paul uses the metaphor of clothing. Now in verse 28, he continues that thought of the first two verses and shows us the unity between fellow Christians. This is a great message aimed directly at the church. In the church, there should be no division 
between different races, Jews or Greeks, between different social standings, slave or free, or between different genders, male or female, in Christ. Paul wasn't saying to the Galatians that they shouldn't keep their distinct Greek culture and that they had to become identical to the Jews in every way and adopt the Jewish culture. You know, after all, one of the main points of Paul writing this letter to the Galatians was to counter the Judaizers who said to these Galatian churches that you must follow all of Jewish customs and laws. In essence, you had to become Jewish to be a true Christian. So Paul was actually fighting the notion that all Christians should be Jewish or of the same culture. But what Paul is saying in this verse is that inside the church, we should associate with and love one another across all racial and cultural barriers. As as Keller puts it, God will have his global people. There's no partiality with God as far as cultures go. He will be glorified by his triumphs of his supreme appeal to every single ethnic group in the people that he is assembling in his church. As verse 28, again, it says, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. As Keller puts it, the Lord shuts the mouth of every ethnocentric boast by taking for himself a people from every group and then killing the hostility through the blood of his cross. And in the church, we shouldn't divide ourselves as in the world many times according to culture or according to class. We should break down all of those barriers. And the the ending point of this verse, Paul mentions the gender barrier. And he's not saying that there should be no distinctions between male and female in the way we live. Paul has written much on this topic in other parts of Scripture. And so here we know he wasn't saying that there are no longer any distinctions between male and female roles inside the church. And I know the world today would want us to believe there are no distinctions at all between genders. And although the Bible teaches that male and female are the same in one way, it also teaches that they are very different in other ways. And that could be a topic for another another sermon. But just know that Paul is not saying there is no difference in the roles of male and female. In Paul's time, the gender gap was probably the strongest barrier. Women were considered absolutely inferior to men. And you saw that attitude played out this week in the news as the Taliban took over Afghanistan. But in the church, we must recognize that all of us, male and female, are equal heirs 
in Christ before God. We are all sons of God. I think Paul's point in verse 28 is though that we are not all identical or interchangeable, but somehow we the church, we are all one in Christ. That's the message here. And I guess you could insert any worldly division that is out there into the point of this verse, whether it's a political division, whether it's a cultural division, an economic division, a racial division. We have a lot of divisions in our world, but we are still one in Christ in the church. That's God's design for the church. The gospel has radical implications to every area of our life. It means that I am a Christian before I'm any one, any one of these other labels or groups. It means that all of the barriers that separate people in the world into these warring factions should be torn down in Christ. Those barriers should not exist in the church, for we are one in Christ. Let's look at verse 29. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. This verse kind of looks back through history to the time of Abraham and the book of Genesis. All that God promised Abraham, he fulfilled and will fulfill in his son, Jesus. And so all that God promised, we will enjoy as his adopted sons, his offspring, his heirs. Let's move on to chapter 4. Let's look at verses 1 and 2 together. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. To illustrate our sonship, Paul uses the illustration of a young child who is the heir of a seemingly great estate. When he's a minor, Paul said he's no different from a slave since he's subject to guardians and to managers. But when he comes of age, he comes into his inheritance. In ancient times, the the process of coming of age was an important and well-defined process. A Roman child heir was a minor under guardians until the age of 14 and was still to some degree under managers until the age of 25. Not until then, not until the age of 25 could the youth exercise complete and independent control over his estate. What Paul seems to be describing here when he says a child is no different than a slave is a spiritual picture of how Christians may fail to some degree to experience the freedom and joy of their salvation. You know, Christians, we we can continue to live day by day as slaves instead of as adopted sons of God that, that we are, even though we are rich in the gospel, we are adopted children of God with complete and direct access to the Father, 
we can go back to relating to him only through our own record, our, our moral efforts and our merits, our works. It's as though we're given gifts, these precious gifts of salvation and grace and adoption, but we give them back to God so that we can work hard to strive to earn them ourselves in some way. We can really distort the free gift of grace when we don't realize what it is and what God just freely gives to us. Verse 3, in the same way we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. Now, now Paul's going to outline more fully what he means by the term elementary principles a little later in this book. But since most of the Galatians had not been born Jews, Paul seems to mean that all human beings, whether Jews or Gentiles, are spiritual slaves before coming to Christ. We are all, in a sense, under the law. Even those that were not Jewish, we are all in bondage to the law and we are all enslaved to it. Remember in my last sermon, we we talked about how Paul said that the law was our guard. We were imprisoned to sin, but the law was also our teacher. It taught us a need for a savior until Christ came. The law eventually points us to Christ. But we can all still be trying to live, trying to live up to some standard today. That, that seems to be just in our DNA. And we don't realize the grace that God provides can take away the anxiety of thinking that we are not good enough or that we have to live up to some higher standard to be accepted by God. That isn't what the Bible teaches. Let's look at verses 4 and 5 together. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. When the fullness of time had come, when the right time had come in history, God sent his son. Do you believe that? God sent his son at exactly the right time in history. Have you ever thought, why, why didn't Jesus come at a different time in history? You, you know, if, if he came today with the internet, with Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and so on, God could have gotten his message out a whole lot better than back in the first century. Well, Paul addresses that here in verse 4. God knew that you would have that question in 2021. So he answered it here through Paul in the first century. Jesus came at the perfect time when the fullness of time had come. A time chosen, a time determined before the foundations of the world were even made, and Jesus Christ coming His life, his death, and his resurrection makes us of age. Like when the Roman child turned 25 
and received his full inheritance. We are now able to receive adoption as sons, removing all penalty and all debt of our sins and freeing us from the spiritual slavery that we were under. God sent his son, born of a woman, a real human being, Mary, and he sent Jesus born under the law. Jesus was born, as all human beings are born, into a state of obligation to God's law. But Jesus lived a sinful life. I'm sorry, a sinless life. <laughs> sorry, Pastor Jeff. I'm not, I'll, I'll, I'll correct that. But Jesus lived a sinless life and is uniquely able to redeem those under the law. Yeah, that's, that's just so awesome to think about. The word redeem in verse 5, Keller explains that it means to release a slave from his or her own owner by paying the slave's full price. Here's the analogy. The slave master is the law, and Jesus pays our full price to the law. He completely fulfills all the law's demands on us. And so he is able to free us from it. That's a great truth of the gospel. Only Jesus Christ, the one without sin, could fulfill the law perfectly on our behalf. He came at the perfect time in history and ordained certain things to happen that caused Christianity to spread like wildfire across the globe. Besides redeeming us, Jesus also gives us full rights as sons. Through Christ, we receive sonship. This is a legal term. And in the Roman world, a childless, wealthy man could take one of his servants, even, and adopt him. At that moment of adoption, he ceased to be a slave and received all the financial and legal privileges within the estate and outside in the world as the son and heir of his adoptive father. You know, this verse reminds me of an old Charlton Heston movie, Ben-Hur. I mean, that was an epic movie. I hope some in here have seen that movie. Ben-Hur was a Jew, and he was unjustly imprisoned and was made a slave of the Roman government He was sent to serve his time on a slave ship. And when the ship went down, I believe it was because of a violent storm. If I'm remembering the movie correctly, then Charlton Heston has been her. He saved the the Roman leader from drowning. And that leader eventually adopted Ben-Hur, his slave, as his son for saving his life. And he gave him all of his legal privileges. Ben-Hur became his heir. That's exactly what Paul is talking about here. We are adopted as God's sons through Jesus Christ. Paul's point here in Galatians is saying, though by birth he was a slave without a relationship with God, the Father, he now receives the legal status of his son. 
It is a new life of privilege. And these verses are a remarkable metaphor for what Jesus has given to all of us as Christians. You know, it's very easy and common when we think of God redeeming us or saving us. We even talk about that a lot. But not often enough do we think that he adopted us. I'm not sure why that is, but I know it's true for me. I don't think enough about God adopting me. But according to God's word, he not only took away our sins, but he also transferred to us the son's rights and privileges. Paul wants to show us and the Galatians that Christ not only removes our sins and curse that we deserve, but he also gives us the blessing he deserves. We inherit the blessing by being God's sons. To use another image, Jesus' salvation is like receiving a pardon and a release from death row in prison. Can you imagine that feeling if you were just released from death row in prison? But if you think about it, you have to realize that that you would be free, but you would be on your own, left to make your own way in the world, relying on your own efforts if you were to make anything of yourself. But in the gospel, and here is the good news, and I love the way that Keller describes this. In the gospel, we discover that Jesus has not only taken us off death row in prison, but he has placed around our neck the Congressional Medal of Honor. We are received and welcomed as heroes as if we had accomplished extraordinary deeds. And he is with us. We are never on our own. And he takes care of us. Church, unless we remember this, we will be anxious and even despairing when we continue to sin or to fail. We will think our slate has been wiped clean, that our sins have been forgiven, but now it's up to us to do the good deeds and the good works so that God will continue to love us and accept us. The good news of the gospel is that our inheritance is not a prize to be won. It's a gift from Christ. It is grace and it's free. And then our final verses today, verses 6 and 7. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, So you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. God sent his son to secure for us the legal status of our sonship. By contrast, the Holy Spirit's purpose is to secure the actual experience of that legal status as he grows us in our everyday life. The work of the Son brings us in an objective, legal condition. 
we are found not guilty. That's our condition whether we feel it or not. But the work of the Holy Spirit is not like that at all. The Holy Spirit brings us a much more subjective experience. The Holy Spirit leads us to call out Abba, Father. We cry out with a deep and profound passion and feeling. It is praying to God with warmth, with passion, and with freedom. There's a connotation of closeness here as Abba means Papa or Daddy. Just as a young child just simply assumes that a parent loves them and and is there for them. And that child never doubts the security and the openness of Daddy's strong arms. I hope my two girls felt that growing up. And I hope they feel that way about me today, their dad, that I'm here for them, whatever they need. And now I also have a role as granddaddy. And I could probably do a whole sermon on being a granddaddy. And I'm still learning how to be a better granddaddy. So Christians can have a certainty that God loves them endlessly in that way as a daddy loves a child. Hearing Pastor Jeff preach over the years has taught me a lot about the significance of referring to God the Father as Abba, Daddy. Jeff's messages that I heard on this topic, that they've meant so much to me. So thank you, Pastor Jeff, for teaching me that truth over the years. Sonship means that we are each an heir. So for a child of God, for a Christian, now church, this is a personal message for you here. There is a confidence and a boldness that we can have every day of our life. Whether we are at work, whether we're at home, whether we're at school, wherever we are, we don't have to walk in fear of anyone or anything Because our Father owns that place. God owns our place of work. God owns our homes. God owns our schools that we go to. God will honor us as He honors His one and only Son. We can approach God as if we were as beautiful, heroic, and faithful as Jesus himself, and that all that is his is ours. Is there anything that we can be more grateful for than that? Is there anything that could give us more confidence than that? If God is speaking to you today through his word, you could experience this confidence in him, and today could be your day of salvation. I pray that will happen. And if we are adopted sons of God, there's a guarantee of sharing God's glory in the future. The astonishing bottom line of sonship is that God now treats us as if we have done everything Jesus has done. We 
are loved as the Father loves Jesus. And we see this in Scripture in the book of John chapter 17 where Jesus himself said this as he prayed for his people. This is his prayer. Father, let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. A good question to ask ourselves would be, am I acting in my day-to-day life like a slave who's afraid of God and the things around me, or am I acting like a one and only child, an heir who's assured of a father's love? Our one final thought today, and something for us to think about this week, as we cry out, Abba, Father, in our lives, the Holy Spirit does His work, assuring us that we are God's children. Knowing that we are co-heirs with Christ should flood our hearts with life-changing assurance and confidence in Him in whatever we're doing. I pray that God would continue to grow all of us here at WCC in realizing that truth. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you that you have adopted us as your children, as your sons. May this be the day of salvation for someone here. Meet us in a special way now as we come to your table. You are mighty and glorious, and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.